Welcome to another edition of the Business and Personal Podcast, where we bring you closer to the people that you do business with. And today we're joined by Jason Smallars. Uh, he's an attorney at Gold, Lang, Majoris, and Smallars here in Detroit. They have 120 years combined experience. And today we're going to talk about bankruptcy versus debt consolidation and when it's the best time to do what. And I thought it was important to have somebody with that much experience and knowledge in the market. Uh, so we're really uh, excited to have Jason on. Uh, first of all, Jason, thanks for joining us. And how are you doing today? I'm good, Ryan. Thanks. And thanks again for having me on today. I'm really excited to be here and talk about how, uh, how we can help people who are struggling. Yes, there always is a light at the end of the tunnel. So you know we're not going to make this gloom and doom. We're going to try to show the positive side of what you can do for people to get out of this. And I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about COVID. I'm sure you don't. We all know that it's impacted a lot of people. There's no sense rehashing that. So let's look forward and uh, try to think about how people can rebound out of this. And one of the first things I wanted to talk to you about is the CARES Act and what a great thing it was to just allow people to put pause on everything and people couldn't make their mortgage payments and several of their other obligations. And there's a lot of people probably through the whole pandemic maybe that haven't even made a mortgage payment and everything's been held at bay, but that's not gonna last forever. So what is your advice to people to prepare for when this, these CARES Act provisions come to an end um, and what's in store for them? Well, my advice to people out there is, is to be proactive. Um, don't be reactive because oftentimes um, when, you're, when you are reactive and fail to plan, sometimes things uh, can get out of control and the situation can be much more dire than it might have been had you taken the steps uh, ahead of time. With the, with the CARES Act, obviously, you know, we're all familiar with the, uh, the government stimulus money uh, in the forms of the, of the stimulus payments, the extended uh, and additional unemployment benefits, the PPP loans, and, and all the different uh, things that are out there to help people and businesses. But with the CARES Act, there was also a couple of very specific and very important uh, provisions that affected bankruptcy. And the first thing that I wanted to mention was uh, the CARES Act had an impact on, on Chapter 13 bankruptcies because what it did was it, it did two things. Um, one thing is that it said that if anybody gets extra money from the government, whether it's you know PPP, whether it's um, the unemployment, that those things uh, would not count in a person's, uh, in the calculation of their income to determine the length of a possible chapter 13 bankruptcy. So that would be extra money that people get to keep in their pockets as opposed to potentially having to pay back to creditors in a chapter 13 reorganization. The other, the other uh, part of the CARES Act that impacted chapter 13 um, it really only impacted people who were already in a Chapter 13 bankruptcy when the CARES Act was enacted. So if you hadn't filed bankruptcy by that point, it didn't really apply to you. But for people who are um, in a Chapter 13 plan that's been confirmed, normally under the bankruptcy code, you're in that plan for three to five years. Well, the CARES Act said, hey, we understand that people are struggling, people are losing jobs. So what it allowed you to do was to one, pause your plan payments temporarily if you weren't, you know, if you lost your job or experiencing COVID hardships. 
but it also allowed uh, debtors to extend their plan up to seven years. So that could really be a huge benefit for a lot of people because it could allow you to stretch your payments out over longer, uh, which would potentially allow you to reduce your monthly payment going forward. Um, also, it, people who were struggling to complete their plans even before COVID hit, uh, basically were thrown a, a, a life preserver to, to try to keep their bankruptcy cases going for an additional two years. So those were, were two really big things for Chapter 13 debtors. Um, the other provision in the CARES Act as it related to bankruptcy had to do with the, um, the new subchapter five, chapter 11, that also went into effect last February. And uh, the new subchapter five, chapter 11 bankruptcy, I know it's pretty wordy, but um, it was a, a, a new subset of chapter 11 bankruptcy that was enacted. And the whole idea was to streamline the chapter 11 process for smaller businesses um, one, to make it more cost-effective for them to file a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and two, to um, ease up on some of the restrictions and some of the barriers in, that exist in Chapter 11 to make it easier to confirm a plan. Because, you know, one thing that a lot of Chapter 11 debtors uh, prior to the Subchapter 5, especially with small businesses, were facing, they were just facing these huge obstacles that made it very, very difficult to confirm a chapter 11 plan. And then they would find themselves in a chapter seven liquidation, which is you know, not good. So the, uh, the sub chapter five, chapter 11, that went into effect last year had a, a cap. So to be eligible as a business to file this type of bankruptcy or an individual uh, could file this type of bankruptcy too. But there was a, a cap, there was a debt limit of about $2.7 million. And that was total debt. Um, the CARES Act basically tripled that amount and increased the debt limit to seven and a half million dollars. So it, it made a lot more businesses eligible for the subchapter five, chapter 11 that otherwise wouldn't have been. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm involved in a chapter 11 uh, case right now where I represent the debtor. And um, the debtor squarely fit into that peg. Uh, the debtor, uh, the business would have had way too much debt for the subchapter five before the CARES Act. Um, but with the CARES Act, uh, th this debtor qualified for subchapter five and it's gonna make, make it uh, incredibly easier for this debtor to get a plan approved uh, than they would have before the, the CARES Act. So. Um, those are some really big, important uh, things that people out there need to know about the CARES Act. And uh, before we start recording, you talked about a deadline with the CARES Act. It continues to move a little bit, so it's possible it could get pushed back again. But right now, as it stands, what is the, um, what is the end of the CARES Act set for? So right now, the bankruptcy provisions that I just mentioned for the CARES Act are set to expire on March 26th. So... Um, you know, this is more for the small businesses, uh, but if, you, if you're in that, if you're over 2.7 million, but under 7.5, you've got about six more weeks to file a chapter 11 under the sub chapter five, because like I said, it expires on March 26th. Um, for chapter 13 debtors, like I said, if you're in a confirmed plan, 
and you were confirmed at the time the CARES Act went into effect, and you're thinking about taking your plan out to, to seven years, you've got a couple more weeks to do that uh, because once the um, once the CARES Act bankruptcy provisions expire, uh, that's it. Um, we've not heard any indication whether or not Congress is planning on extending that or not. So right now we're acting as if it's going to end on the 26th of March. So let, take me through an example of an individual maybe that has not made a single mortgage payment since say last March when the pandemic hit and the CARES Act expires and they do nothing. They, they don't prepare ahead of time for what's coming. They just assume things are going to pick back up where they were. What will that type of individual be facing at that point? Well, they could be facing um, a lot of problems. If, if somebody is in a Chapter 13 plan, and whether they're making their mortgage payment through the plan or they're making their mortgage payment directly, um, regardless of which situation they find themselves in, if they haven't made a mortgage payment in six, eight, nine, ten months, maybe they have a forbearance. Um, but what happens is, is that when your, when your plan expires at the end of this 60 months, or, you know, we'll, we'll say 60 months for the uh, sake of this example, if you're in this 60 month plan and you, you, uh, not extended it out, your plan expires at the end of the 60 months. And now you've got missed mortgage payments post petition. Well, what can happen is at the end of the case, um, the bankruptcy trustee sends out a notice to all of your creditors and the trustee says, hey, this debtor, we believe this debtor has completed their plan payments and is eligible for a discharge. Um, and it gives the creditors an opportunity to object to that notice and say, hey, no, we haven't been paid what we were supposed to be paid. Now you've got a debtor whose 60 month plan has expired. They've missed this window to extend their plan. So now they can't extend their plan beyond 60 months. And you've got a mortgage company who comes along and says, hey, you know, um, you know, Tim Smith hasn't paid me uh, the mortgage payment for the last 10 months. We have we need to get this money or Tim can't get a discharge. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, Mr. Smith may not have that kind of money and can't get caught up on the mortgage. So Mr. Smith may find himself um with his case having been dismissed. So you know, he'll have paid into a bankruptcy plan for five years and then his case gets dismissed because he wasn't able to catch up on his mortgage. Now there are some ways around that, but that that is the um, prime example of a, of a really bad outcome. So what about an individual though that maybe was in pretty good credit and financial standing, was not in a bankruptcy at all, but has not been making mortgage payments at this time and now is facing the prospect of a foreclosure or bankruptcy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the banks have not been uh, sending foreclosure notices in this period of time, right? Is there a moratorium on that still? Right. So there's a, there's a moratorium right now on foreclosures with any mortgage that's backed by Freddie Mac or Fannie Mae. So those, those are, that moratorium is in effect. And I believe the Biden administration just extended that um, moratorium through the end of this month. And I believe that we're probably going to extend it again to, until the end of March. It seems like they're doing that on a month by month basis. Um, but to answer your question, if you have somebody who's not in a bankruptcy 
and they haven't made their mortgage payment for let's say 10 months, maybe they've been on a forbearance plan. Um, I mean, the forbearance plan is going to come to an end at some point. And if, if the individual wasn't able to make their mortgage payment for 10 months, it seems more likely than not that they won't have the kind of cash laying around to bring the mortgage current. So at that point, they're, they're faced with basically two options um, if, if, if the mortgage company is demanding payment. One is to ask for a, a mortgage modification, you know, to redo your mortgage. Um, and, you know, that could work, but th those, th that process can take some time because um, we all know banks don't uh, work at normal pace. And um, so it can take some time. And, and while that's, that process is going on, there's no guarantee that the bank's going to allow you to continue to not make payments. So, you know, or, or um, exercise their rights to potentially foreclose. So there is that. The other option that people could possibly have is to file a Chapter 13 bankruptcy. Um, because the Chapter 13 bankruptcy would put a, a, an immediate halt on any collection or foreclosure efforts. You have the, what's called the automatic stay protection. And you could do a, a Chapter 13 bankruptcy plan where you catch up on all of those missed payments over time. Um, and there's a mechanism inside the bankruptcy to ask for and negotiate a loan modification. So what's really nice with the chapter 13 is we could still work on getting you a loan modification, but you've also got the protection of the automatic stay and you don't have to go to bed at night worrying about a foreclosure notice being posted to your front door. I have to think there's a ton of people that have fallen into that bucket there. And I think the simple message is don't try to figure it out on your own. There's so many moving pieces right now, There's, but there are so many options out there that they should reach out to a firm like yours and figure out what their best move is. Try to be proactive on it. Um, and the other thing I'm thinking too, so, you know, you have people at home that are now lining up all their debts, trying to figure out what their best move is. Could you maybe touch on, you don't have to go through all of them, but some debts that definitely could be included in a bankruptcy and some that cannot. So as people are going through their list, they know what they can um, discharge and what they won't be able to. Sure. Well, I mean, we can, you can certainly get rid of credit card debt in a bankruptcy. Um, if you've had any sort of repossessions uh, or foreclosures and, and creditor says you still owe them money, you can get rid of that. You can get rid of medical bills in a bankruptcy. Um, and believe it or not, there are some tax debts that you can get rid of in bankruptcy. They have to meet some, some very specific requirements, but if, if they do meet the requirements, you can get rid of some tax debt. But those are the primary things, you know, most, most of the consumer debts. Um, similarly, if you had a, a business that maybe has failed uh, in the past year due to, all, due to the COVID and all the things that are going on and Maybe perhaps some of the business creditors are coming after you or you had a personal guarantee on some business debt or you personally signed on the lease. You can certainly get rid of all those debts in a bankruptcy as well. And there's also debt consolidation too as an option. You may not have to go right into bankruptcy. So what's usually the threshold that you look at where someone you suggest debt consolidation versus a bankruptcy? Well, as a kind of a general threshold, 
if, if your debt, if you're considering a bankruptcy, let's say your debt is less than, let's say, ten or fifteen thousand dollars, it might be to your benefit to consider a, a debt consolidation versus a bankruptcy. Um, you know, bankruptcy is obviously it, it hurts your credit and it, it it can stay on your credit for up to ten years, um, but also, it's important to keep in mind that if somebody files a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, they can't do another one for eight years. If somebody files a Chapter 13 bankruptcy, they can't do another one and they complete the plan and get a discharge. They can't do another one for four years, which typically doesn't matter because you're in Chapter 13 for a long time. But in any event, there, you know, there, there are time restrictions. So I, I've told people in the past, if you file a Chapter 7 bankruptcy and you discharge, you know, $10,000 of, of credit card debt, you know, what happens in three years if you're in a catastrophic accident and all of a sudden you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars of medical bills and you can't file bankruptcy, or at least you can't file Chapter 7 bankruptcy and, and, and eliminate all of the debt. Um, you know, so it, you know, sometimes it makes sense to save your bankruptcy for a rainy day, a really rainy day. Um, but usually about $10,000 is kind of the threshold uh, where you should probably consider a debt consolidation. And then what about the most important assets such as a home and automobiles and such? Um, those can be salvaged through a bankruptcy. How do people go about doing that? Right. Well, obviously, yeah. I mean, most of our, most of our, our largest assets are our homes. And um, when, you're, when you're talking about bankruptcy in your home, there's a lot of things that we have to look at. I mean, the most important thing to look at is, you know, how much equity is in the home? Um, you know, how is the home titled? Is it just in one person's name? If, if the person's married, uh, uh, is it in both spouses' names? Uh, because all of those factors will play into, you know, the type of bankruptcy that would best suit you and, and how we would advise you to, to move forward. Uh, because really, I think what people need to understand is, is bankruptcy is very, very specific to each individual's situation. There is just, there is no one size fits all bankruptcy. It's not cookie cutter. It's very specific to your situation, your assets, your debts, your income, all these factors. It's, it's, um, it's almost like a, an algebraic formula and you have to plug in all these variables and, and kind of see what the outcome is. Um, but typically, if, if a house is in two spouses' names, right, and um, those spouses do not have any joint uh, unsecured debt, like credit cards, medical bills, things like that, uh, for the most part, uh, in that situation, a house would be perfectly safe in a bankruptcy. Um, if, it's, if it's not titled that way and there's a significant amount of equity, um, then we put people in Chapter 13 bankruptcies because in those types of bankruptcies, you get to keep all of your assets. And then in exchange for that, you pay money back to your creditors over time. And, and what is the timeline right now from filing to completion on a bankruptcy? I know a 13 is going to be longer than a seven just because of the repayment plan, but um, has COVID changed the timeline at all or is it still pretty much the same as it's been? Well, thankfully, um, and I, I give a lot of credit to just everybody in the bankruptcy bar, the, the court, 
uh, the trustees, all the attorneys, everybody, you know, debtors, attorneys, creditors, attorneys, everybody's done a really, really great job um, in, in adjusting to these trying times. And, and really, the bankruptcy process has not really been stalled or delayed. I mean, we're doing everything remotely now. So all of our hearings and meetings are being conducted either over the phone or via some sort of Zoom or vi other video conferencing. So we, we've done a really good job maintaining our, our, our timelines. Um, if somebody files a Chapter 7 bankruptcy, usually from the time they file, it's about 90 days until they get their discharge, okay? Um, chapter 13 bankruptcy, as you mentioned, is, is very different. Usually it's 60 to 90 days from the time you file until the time that your plan gets confirmed. And then that can be extended out if there are mitigating situations or mitigating factors. But then once your plan's confirmed, then your clock starts. And if you're in a 36-month plan, your clock starts at confirmation. Same with a 60-month plan. You know, your, your three to five years starts when your plan's confirmed. Um, you know, same thing with Chapter 11. That, that, the, the timeline hasn't really changed due to COVID. Um, I talked earlier about the new subchapter 5. And what's nice about that is um, the court has really, really streamlined the process uh, time-wise. Um, usually in a, in a regular chapter 11, you, you could have up to six months before you have to file a plan. Um, now with the new subchapter five, it's 90 days and they want a plan filed. Um, and you can ask the court for more time, but they, they want to play, they want to keep you on a pretty strict schedule to kind of get this case pushed through. And I can imagine what a relief it must be for people when you start just even starting that process and start to see that light at the end of the tunnel and project when you're going to be out of that. And that's got to be a good feeling for you to help people get to that point. And you've shared a couple of success stories with me, but maybe if you could just share one that really sticks out to you where you help someone out in a tough spot. Well, sure. Um, and that, that's a great point. You know, people come to me and they're you know, usually in dire straits. And I mean, I, I could think of hundreds of examples where just after my first consultation with somebody, they tell me that they feel better, that they feel like a weight's been lifted off their shoulders. I've had people call me a couple of days after a meeting to say that they've been, been able to finally sleep at night. Um, so yeah, I mean, just for just to you know, be able to give people information and peace of mind it's, it's a really good feeling because nobody, you know, I have a client who calls me the oncologist of lawyers because nobody <laughs> comes to me under good, under good circumstances. Um, so, you know, it, it is a nice feeling to know that I, I can give people some, some peace of mind. Um, a success story that really sticks out, and this was some years ago, but I had a, a doctor, uh, she and her husband who, you know, were, fairly successful, uh, found themselves in a really nasty situation with some litigation and, and some other things. And um, we're really in a bad way financially. So, you know, we, we put them in a bankruptcy uh, and there was, there were some, some complex issues in the case that we were able to work through, uh, work through with them and, and help them out. And, you know, they got through the bankruptcy, they, they got their discharge, um, got rid of a ton of debt and, you know, had since, uh, you know, my client, she has since gone on uh, to work at some hospitals around the country and she's making a, a ton of money 
Uh, she's got perfect credit and she, she still calls me once a year to, to say thank you. So um, it, it, was a, it was a very, very good success story. And there's lots of stories like that. Yeah, so hopefully um, I can help you uh, create some more success stories here through uh, the information we put out in this podcast. What is the easiest way for people to reach out to you for a consultation? Because as we've established, don't try to figure this stuff out on your own. Go to the experts that can map out a plan for you. And how do they start that with you? Well, the easiest way is you can either call me um, or you can go to my firm's website. Uh, my, my, my direct line is... Uh, 248-462-7698. Um, or if you want to visit our website, it's www.glmspc.com. I'm sorry. <laughs> our website is www.glmpclaw.com. Got it. So, and then people, people can schedule appointments online. With you, yeah, you can go on. They can go on our website and they can schedule appointments uh, right through there. Yeah, I like GLM or something like that a lot better because your name it's easy to butcher your name. You got a lot going on. There. Yeah, yeah. GLMPCLaw.com. <laughs> GLMPCLaw.com. Very good. Well, hey, Jason. Uh, I'm sorry. You have one more thing to share? Oh no, I was just going to say that we're flexible. Uh, you know, we can meet. We're happy to meet with people in person. We're happy to, um, you know, do a consultation over the phone. We certainly understand people's concerns. So um, whatever, whatever uh, suits you, we're willing to do it. Yeah, I guess we didn't touch on that, but I assume you'll do virtual consultations in this COVID era, at least as a starting point. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Very good. All right. Well, Jason, thanks again. Uh, all kinds of great information. Hopefully we can help some people out here uh, on the road to recovery. Uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. There sure is. We just got to take the first step and, and, and seek out help. And we're here to help. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Ryan. Have a great day.